Hail and welcome to A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. I am Margot, your ghost of Yuletide present. Uh, I hope you're all doing so well on this fine December day. Whenever you listen to this, I'm recording on a Thursday, and for non-Patreons, this episode will drop on a Friday. So, I started decorating for winter solstice this week. Uh, something I love to do is decorate my house for big celebrations. It always seems to give the house an extra cozy feeling when I specifically decorate for the winter solstice, especially when the tree is lit. Uh, I forgot how much I love getting up before the sun rises and just sitting near the tree when it's lit and probably should have mentioned that last week when I was listing off ways to enjoy this time of year. And of course, there are the smells. I love the smell of pine and cedar uh, and cinnamon, which is wafting through the house thanks to some branches I placed in a vase and some cinnamon-scented pine cones that I purchased at the local grocer. Um, it's a close second to having my house decorated for Samhain. I really, really love it. And that's what we're talking about today, actually. Winter solstice, that is. Uh, winter solstice, Yule, Krampus, and other holiday season spookiness. But first, I want to talk about the new moon in Sagittarius, because I just realized that the new moon in Sagittarius is coming up on Tuesday, December 12th, 6.32 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, to be precise. Um, Sagittarius is a fire sign ruled by Jupiter, and Tuesday is ruled by Mars, which is a fiery planet. And the new moon, as we know, brings about new beginnings, new insights, a time for reassessment and making plans as well as a time for letting go of or banishing what no longer serves in order to move forward new or clear. So during this new moon, we may feel prompted to look to the future and visualize a bigger, better, or brighter future, one that stokes the passions of our fiery nature and nurtures our desire for expansion, whatever that may mean for our current situations. It may inspire a personal expansion by way of learning or self-education, uh, a big step in our career paths, travel, or with our personal relationships. Perhaps we feel we should be growing our connections with individuals in our lives while also releasing ties with others from our past. We may feel it's time to let go of old patterns or embrace a new path in our spiritual journey. We may be feeling a sense of newfound optimism and be driven towards abundance work or new ways that we can invite abundance into our lives, which is perfectly aligned with Sagittarius's ruling planet, Jupiter. And we may simply want to start infusing a little more adventure into our lives. And this can be as big as planning the trip of a lifetime or as simple as starting to take a walk out in nature every day because we've been feeling disconnected or isolated. Or it could mean that we're ready to allow our creative impulses to lead us to trying a new mode of creative expression or going back to one that we only now realize used to bring us joy, but we stopped participating in it for reasons we can't even remember anymore. These feelings can manifest differently for every single person. And this is all very much aligned with this time of year as well, as we have entered the last month of the year in the Gregorian calendar at least. Many of us roll our eyes at the notion of the New Year's resolution, myself included. 
but we don't really stop to think that underneath all the cliché is the collective feeling of a need for expansion and adventure that very much seems influenced by this Sagittarian, Jupiterian, and even solstice energy that is infusing all aspects of life this time of year. It's very real to many of us, palpable and undeniable. I actually like to refer to it as the seeds I will plant for the coming year, the ideas or the goals that I will tend to in my own personal garden. Our gardens have many sections with different blooms, some that require much more tending than others, and some that go a little neglected at times as a result. As I was typing up my notes for exactly this, I came to the realization of just how this energy of the new moon in Sagittarius, the end of the old year and the beginning of the new, and the energy of the soon-to-be-reborn sun are all making me come to one undeniable realization of how and where I want to expand, how I want to find my own joy and adventure, and the changes I want or need to make in order to secure that possibility that I'll be able to grasp that joy. And it's not what you might think. When I started A is for Agrimony, I wanted to create something that allowed me to share over 25 years of experience, education, and insight in the world of witchcraft. I'm certainly not the only one doing this, and I'm nowhere near as well-known or influential in this area as some others may be. But that's not how I measure success. I've always measured my success according to my own satisfaction and my own ability to receive joy from the work that I've been doing. And by that quantification, I've been an enormous success this year. But prospects change. The bigger picture and the glimpse of a brighter future often changes direction like the winds guiding our sails. I've noticed over the past year that although I love what I'm doing, I've lost a great deal of time for some things that have also brought me great joy. And if there's one thing you learn from getting a second chance at life, as I have... It's that you don't let your joy slip away no matter what. And you certainly don't let a perceived notion of what is making you successful or accomplished stand in the way of allowing yourself to make time for the things that will actually matter to you in the end. And that's how you spend your time. How you make time for the things and the people who hold your joy. I'm talking a lot about balance here, <laughs> as I seem to always do without actually intending it, as we've learned over our year traveling through the major arcana with the Fool in the Fortune and Flora series. Balance, above all else. Sure, I have to work. That's how I can afford to do the things that I love in the first place. And I'm not, I'm not kidding myself. I, I don't live under some I don't live under one of those overused platitudes about how as long as you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Reality is what reality is. And most of us have to work. And everything has a cost. But there is the time that I have that is my own. And I'm learning now as the new moon in Sagittarius approaches along with the winter solstice. And as this incredible and irritating and illuminating and horrendous and beautiful and gut-wrenching and expansive and awful and wonderful year comes to a close. 
how I will spend that time in the coming year in order to keep a tight grasp on my joy and seek adventure and expand my mind and invite abundance and everything this Jupiter-ruled new moon is driving home. And that, surprisingly, is to do less. In order to strike a balance and keep loving what I do while also making more time for the things that I know bring me joy and that I haven't had a whole lot of time for. Well, we all have to decide what's important, entirely separate from any collective idea of what we think it should be or what the world tells us that success looks like. But what it really is, is highly personal and unique. Even if it's, say, being a more involved and effective member of a community, that's still your personal joy-driven design. What's going to make you feel expansive, more joyful, and make your future seem brighter if you start planting seeds now? So this seemed like a good time as any to make my announcement. <laughs> this is my second to last episode of the year. Next week, we will finish out the major arcana in the Fortune and Flora series, which is so exciting. I, at least for me, I mean, come on, we, we did it. Almost. And then I'll be taking a two-week break and returning on January 5th with the first new episode of 2024, 4A is for Agrimony. But from that point on, my episodes will be bi-weekly. Fortune and Flora will continue on. Unfinished series like the Daily Magic and Protection Magic series will continue on. And I will continue to provide episodes that I believe are informative, entertaining, hopefully, and fully driven by my desire to share, but in a more balanced way. In all honesty, I think the quality of the work I've been doing here for the first year will improve because I believe that I'll be more balanced and as a result, more joyful. So the seed I'm planting for the new year is one of moderation, balance, and temperance in order to expand in the areas of my personal garden that have gone a little too untended. The areas that when I do cultivate them, bring great joy. What seed will you plant? Are the new moon in Sagittarius, the coming of the winter solstice, and the end of this year stirring something in you that you've only just started to birth in your mind? That's where every single aspect of our lives begins. How will your garden flourish in the coming year? Everything else will continue on and I'll have more time to expand asforagrimony.com and the coven shop as I've always intended. And I'll be able to think up new ways to offer more content on the Patreon as I've always intended for some time now. And most importantly, I know that I'll be a better member of this amazing community because I'll be more balanced, more expansive in my own way and ultimately happier. It's Thursday when I record this. And I both dedicate this episode to and ask for a blessing and support from Jupiter on this endeavor, as well as all of yours. So that's my announcement. It's been stirring and incubating in my mind and in my heart. And by putting it out into the world today, I've planted my seed. Well, one of them. <laughs> and speaking of winter solstice, let's discuss it. For me, it's a big one. 
It's a major event in the wheel of the year. Eh. I guess if I had to choose my favorite celebrations, that would be Samhain, the autumn equinox, the summer solstice, and the winter solstice. Fully based on how excited they make me feel and zero logic or reasoning. So let's start with let's start with what it is. The winter solstice, often referred to as the shortest day of the year or the longest night of the year, is a significant celestial event that is celebrated by various cultures and has been for thousands of years. It occurs annually when the northern hemisphere is tilted farthest away from the sun, which then results in this longest night and shortest day. And in the southern hemisphere, it marks the summer solstice where the longest day of the year occurs. The specific date can vary, but usually falls around December 21st or 22nd in the Northern Hemisphere. As we know, the winter solstice, of course, has ancient origins, observed and celebrated by the Egyptians, the Celts, the Druids, Native Americans, and so on. And for many of these cultures, it was a time to take note of the changing seasons as the sun would begin to reverse its southward journey and return northward, promising its growing strength and eventually the arrival of spring. Some very notable and ancient celebrations associated with the winter solstice include Yule, which I'll be elaborating on in a few minutes, Saturnalia, Sol Invictus, and of course, Christmas. Yule, which has deep pagan and Norse roots, celebrates the rebirth of the sun and the eventual return of light and warmth. Yule logs are traditionally burned, and it's a time for feasting and gift-giving. In ancient Rome, the winter solstice was celebrated with the festival of Saturnalia, honoring the god Saturn. It was a time of feasting, gift-giving, and role reversal where servants and masters temporarily switched roles. The Roman Empire also celebrated Sol Invictus, or the unconquered sun, on December 25th coinciding with the winter solstice. Some suggest that the date of Christmas was intentionally set at this time to absorb and Christianize existing solstice celebrations. And that brings us to Christmas. As Christianity spread, the winter solstice was integrated into the celebration of Christmas with the birth of Jesus symbolizing the light of the world and the promise of salvation. Many of the customs and traditions of Christmas, such as the use of evergreen trees, lights, and gift-giving, have origins in earlier solstice celebrations. Period. (laughs) Today, winter solstice is celebrated in many, many different ways. Many individuals choose to participate in nature based in pagan rituals, lighting candles or bonfires to symbolize the return of the sun, or staying up to watch the newborn sun rise on the morning after the longest night knowing that from this point on, the strength of the sun and the length of the days will grow until it reaches its peak at the summer solstice on the opposite end of the wheel. Some may incorporate feasting, music, and dancing, ritual, and whatever floats their spiritual boats. For many modern pagans, magical practitioners, witches, and folks of Norse or Germanic cultural backgrounds, the winter solstice is known as Yule which is celebrated with ceremonies that may include the lighting of a Yule log, the decoration of a Yule tree, ritual, and the exchange of gifts. 
Yule, as the pagan festival that celebrates the winter solstice, occurs at the same time and has its origins in various ancient cultures which have been incorporated into modern neo-pagan and Wiccan traditions, which incorporated into eight celebrations of the Wheel of the Year. Some of these origins include Norse paganism. In the Old Norse language, the word Yule, or Yule, spelled J-O-L, referred to a festival that marked the winter solstice, and it was a time to honor the god Odin and celebrate the return of the sun and the promise of longer days. Yule was also celebrated by Germanic tribes, and various customs and traditions from these cultures were incorporated into the modern Yule celebration. The Yule log, for example, has Germanic origins as it symbolized the sun's return and was believed to bring good luck. And again, the Roman festival of Saturnalia, which took place in late December and involved feasting, gift-giving, and role reversals. Some elements of Saturnalia were absorbed into Yule celebrations, particularly the festive and social aspects of the celebration. The modern celebration of Yule is a time for welcoming the return of the sun celebrating the rebirth of light, and embracing the hope of spring. While the specifics can vary among different modern traditions, some common Yule and winter solstice traditions include, again, the Yule log. The Yule log is one of the central symbols of the celebration. It's a large log made from oak or another sacred wood and is burned in the hearth to represent the return of the sun's light. The log is typically decorated with greenery, candles, and other symbolic elements. The Yule tree, often an evergreen like pine or fir, is decorated with ornaments, lights, and other festive items. The tree represents the continuation of life and the promise of renewal in the coming year. Remember, evergreens do not lose their green foliage like most other members of the plant kingdom during winter, giving that element of longevity, vitality, and eternal life. Candle lighting. Candles are lit to represent the return of the sun's light. In some traditions, a Yule candle wreath is created with four candles, each representing one of the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. And they're lit on successive Sundays leading up to the winter solstice. Divination. Yule's a time when many people practice divination to gain insights into the coming year, as the end of the Gregorian year will soon follow. Tarot readings, scrying, and other forms of divination are commonly used during this period, especially fire scrying, in my case, as a big hearth fire or an outdoor bonfire is usually part of the celebration. Another that is directly based on a very old tradition and may sound familiar to you is wassailing. Wassailing is a tradition where groups of people go from house to house singing carols and sharing a drink called wassail, to wish prosperity and good health to their neighbors. This tradition is still practiced in some regions and is the direct descendant, no, ancestor, is the direct ancestor of the Christmas caroling that is seen in some Christmas traditions today. Mistletoe. The mistletoe, a sacred plant in Druidic and Norse traditions, is often hung in doorways during Yule. Kissing under the mistletoe is a popular Yule custom that symbolizes love, friendship, and good fortune. And mistletoe, being a highly toxic plant, also has many protective qualities and is fashioned into a protective talisman that is kept in the home all year long. 
And finally, the Yule Solstice Vigil. Many observers will stay up all night on the longest night of the year to greet the rising sun and celebrate its return. And aside from the mythology of the reborn sun, or the Sol Invictus, that is prevalent during the winter solstice, there is another very popular theme. Well, there are many very popular themes, but one very popular theme that I want to speak of is that of the Holly King and the Oak King. The mythology of the Holly King and the Oak King is an ancient concept rooted in Celtic and pagan folklore, representing the cycle of the seasons, particularly the changing of the seasons between winter and summer, which, as we know, the Celtic peoples largely followed along with these two seasons specifically. The Holly King and the Oak King are often depicted as two opposing figures locked in a perpetual battle, each reigning over their own half of the year. They engage in battle at two pivotal points of the year, the summer and winter solstices, where one triumphs over the other, signifying a shift from one season to the other, and from the dark half of the year to the light half of the year, and vice versa. The Oak King represents the light half of the year, ruling from the winter solstice to the summer solstice. He embodies the vitality of the natural world, growth, and abundance. As the year progresses, the Oak King's power reaches its peak during the summer months when nature flourishes. On the flip side, the Holly King symbolizes the dark half of the year, reigning from the summer solstice to the winter solstice. He embodies the darker, colder aspects of nature, representing dormancy, decay, and the waning of life. The Holly King's strength is at its peak during the winter months when the natural world rests and prepares for renewal. Their cyclical struggle symbolizes the eternal dance between light and darkness, growth and decay, life and death. And as the wheel turns, the seasons change. The Holly King and the Oak King maintain balance in the natural world, ensuring the continuous cycle of life, death, and rebirth. The myth of these two symbolic figures reflects the eternal rhythm and interconnectedness of nature's cycles throughout the year. I like to think that perhaps in the pagan mythos, this battle coincides with the birth of the newborn son. Perhaps the triumph of the Oak King brings about a new dawn where the goddess gives birth to the newborn son, the Sol Invictus, and watches over him as he grows in strength. Perhaps the inevitable triumph of the Holly King heralds the diminishing power of the sun and his eventual demise that we see taking place in winter. But all occurs on the wheel that shows us that the cycle doesn't end and death is not final, but just a shedding of what's necessary in order to bring about rebirth and another new dawn. All of this is conjecture and supposition, of course. It's the beauty of the freedom of interpretation. And the winter solstice seems to inspire a lot of that. Of course, it's important to note that Yule and or the winter solstice, remember some of us see these two titles as having the same meaning and some of us do not, can vary among pagan and magical groups and individuals may customize their celebrations to align with their personal beliefs and practices. The common thread in these celebrations, however, is the recognition of the solstice as a time of renewal, hope, and the return of the light in the midst of winter's darkness. So let's go over some themes and correspondences before we move on to some spookiness. <laughs> some themes. 
Endings and new beginnings. Birth, rebirth. Gratitude, restoration, cycles, silence, wisdom, the return of the light, honoring the sun, the god as the newborn son, the goddess as mother or holy mother, the dear mother, the holly and oak kings, and Saturn and or father time. Some activities include celebration, of course, feasting, introspection or silent reflection, divination, healing work, vigil or watching the sunrise, decorating, making and giving gifts, bonfires, candle lighting or lighting of the Yule log, storytelling, ritual, giving to the less fortunate, feeding birds and wildlife, taking stock and making new plans. Plants include mistletoe, holly, ivy, pine and fir, uh, juniper, bay laurel, rosemary, cranberry, and cedar, just to name a few. Colors include green, gold, red, and white. Tarot cards, the hermit, the magician, pentacles, and the world. Some deities are Odin, Freya, Saturn, the Morrigan, Kaliak, Hulda, Berksha, the Oak and Holly Kings, the goddess as mother, and sun deities like Sol, Sol Invictus, the Horned God, Apollo, and Helios. Some stones, crystals, and minerals, clear quartz, citrine, garnet, ruby, sunstone, emerald, moonstone, labradorite, amethyst, snowflake obsidian, blue lace agate, selenite, and other correspondences include the stag and reindeer, frankincense, myrrh, and wood smoke. On your altar or around your home, you may choose to decorate with evergreens like cedar, fir, pine, spruce, and holly, cinnamon sticks, pine cones, poinsettia, mistletoe, wreaths, yule logs, candles, the yule goat, or reindeer. Some traditional foods include roasted meats, root vegetables, apples, oranges, mulled wines, spiced cider, wassail, a yule log cake, walnuts, chestnuts, hazelnuts, mincemeat pies, seasonal herbs and spices like cardamom, cinnamon, cloves, or whatever else is currently in season in your region. Remember, different cultures have their unique traditions and celebrations tied to the winter solstice. The history and traditions of the winter solstice are diverse and have evolved over centuries. It represents a time of reflection, hope, and the anticipation of the return of longer days and the rebirth of nature. Whether through ancient remembrances or new modern customs, the celebration continues to hold great significance for witches, pagans, and spiritual folks all around the world. All right, so I want to talk about some spooky shit. <laughs> Many of us consider spooky season to entirely revolve around Halloween and Samhain, but we forget that there was a time when spookiness was really all about the darker time of the year and very much alive and thriving during winter solstice, Yule, Christmas, and winter in general. Agricultural peoples went from working and harvesting their fields and tending to their animals to staying indoors, resting, reflecting, and telling stories around the fire. In the quiet and the dark, there was much time to think about what lurked all around, and many amazing folk tales and stories emerged, if you like 
spooky, that is. So I have a few that I wanted to go over, uh, a few that are more on the more popular side that, that you may have heard of before. But I also want to recommend a few really great reads first, if you want to get into the spookiness of this season on your own. So they are The Old Magic of Christmas, Yuletide Traditions for the Darkest Days of the Year by Linda Radish. The Scary Book of Christmas Lore, 50 Terrifying Yuletide Tales from Around the World by Tim Rayborn. The Fright Before Christmas, Surviving Krampus and Other Yuletide Monsters, Witches, and Ghosts by Jeff Ballinger and illustrated by Terry Reed. And Christmas and Other Horrors, an anthology of solstice horror by Garth Nix, Josh Mailerman, Alma Katsu, Stephen Graham Jones, and Ellen Datlow. I know how I'm going to be spending some of my break time. <laughs> so let's get into a few of these holiday horrors. Obviously, we're going to talk about the legend of Krampus. In Central European folklore, Krampus is a horned anthropomorphic figure described as a companion or opposite of St. Nicholas. While St. Nicholas rewards good children, Krampus punishes the naughty ones. He's often depicted as a dark, hairy creature with horns, carrying chains, and a bundle of birch sticks to swat naughty children with. Krampusnacht, celebrated on December 5th, involves people dressing up as Krampus and roaming the streets in a wild, frightening procession. Krampus is particularly known in Alpine regions such as Austria, Germany, Hungary, and some parts of Italy. Often resembling a demonic beast, he is believed to be the antithesis of St. Nicholas who rewards well-behaved children. Krampus is said to accompany St. Nicholas on the evening of December 5th, known as Krampusnacht, the night before the feast of St. Nicholas on December 6th. And again, while St. Nicholas rewards good children with gifts, sweets, and other treats, Krampus's role is to punish the naughty children. Traditionally, people dress up as Krampus during this occasion, wearing intentionally frightening masks and costumes resembling the beast-like creature with long horns, fur, and chains. They roam the streets, rattling chains and carrying bundles of birch sticks or switches meant to swat or scare misbehaving children. In some cases, Krampus may carry a sack or a basket on his back to snatch away naughty children. Gotta keep them somewhere. The idea behind Krampus is to serve as a warning to children to behave well throughout the year, lest they face punishment from this terrifying figure. It's a blend of both pagan and Christian traditions, often seen as a way to ward off evil spirits during the Christmas season. Like St. Nick or Santa Claus, Krampus also is accompanied by elves, but they are very different from the elves that you might think of inhabiting the North Pole and making toys. Or maybe they're not so different, but simply tasked with different responsibilities by an altogether different employer because they are said to assist him in gathering up the children who have been naughty and making sure Krampus is able to delve out his punishments. No toys in sight. In recent years, the legend of Krampus has gained popularity beyond its traditional regions, with Krampus-themed events, parades, and celebrations occurring in various parts of the world. It adds both a unique and somewhat spooky element to the holiday season, celebrating the darker, more mischievous side of Christmas folklore. Okay, next up we have the Yule Cat. 
The Yule Cat, or Hola Couturin, I apologize for my terrible pronunciation, is a giant and vicious feline said to lurk around during Christmas time. The cat is said to devour those who have not received new clothes before Christmas Eve. This tale, strangely enough, was used to encourage hard work and to ensure everyone had new clothes before the holiday season. The Yule Cat's origin is deeply rooted in Icelandic traditions and tales. According to legend, the Yule Cat is said to roam the countryside of Iceland on Christmas Eve. It's described as an enormous and ferocious cat, much larger than the average cat, with glowing eyes and a menacing presence. The Yule Cat is said to have the ability to sense whether individuals have worked hard and completed their tasks before Christmas. The folklore surrounding the Yule Cat is closely tied to the tradition of giving new clothes as gifts during the holiday season in Iceland. It is believed that those who worked hard throughout the year and finished their tasks would receive new clothes as a reward. On the other hand, those who did not receive new clothing were at risk of encountering the Yule Cat. <laughs> the threat of the Yule Cat was used as a way to encourage hard work and productivity, especially among workers in rural communities. It was believed that if someone did not receive new clothes by Christmas Eve, the Yule Cat might pay them a visit. The cat would supposedly devour those who hadn't received new garments, adding an element of fear to motivate people to work diligently and ensure they were properly dressed for the holidays. I don't like this at all. <laughs> the tale of the Yule Cat has been passed down through generations in Iceland, serving as a cautionary story about the importance of industry and the consequences of laziness. I wonder what the Yule Cat thinks of the house cat. While it may seem frightening, the Yule Cat continues to be part of Icelandic folklore, highlighting the cultural significance of hard work and generosity during the festive season. And last, in this episode anyway, there are countless other Yuletide horrors we could explore here, but certainly not least, we have Gryla and the Yule Lads. Gryla is a terrifying ogress or giantess in Icelandic folklore. She is depicted as a fearsome being who lives in the mountains of Iceland with her third husband and their numerous children known as the Yule Lads. Gryla is often described as having multiple heads and tails or is known for her insatiable appetite for naughty children. Legend has it that she comes down from the mountains during Christmas to capture misbehaving children. Some variations of the story say she would cook these children into a stew or bake them into pies. Gryla serves as a cautionary figure encouraging children to behave well enough to avoid her wrath. You might have heard of her in folklore, or you may have even seen a variation of her featured in the Winter Solstice special of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, as well as an additional cameo in season three. Gryla is accompanied by her children, referred to as the Yule Lads, who are mischievous creatures who visit children on the 13 nights leading up to Christmas. Each Yule Lad has his own distinct personality, name, and particular habit. Originally, the Yule Lads were portrayed as pranksters, who would either play tricks on people or leave gifts in shoes left out by children. Over time, their depictions have become more benign, and they are now often seen as bearers of small gifts or treats. The Yule Lads and characteristics vary slightly in different versions of the folklore, but some common traits include sheep coat clod, gully gawk, stubby, spoon licker, pot scraper, 
Bowl Licker, Door Slammer, Skyer Gobbler, Sausage Swiper, Window Peeper, Doorway Sniffer, Meat Hook, and Candle Stealer. <laughs> Similar to other Christmas folklore, the tale of Gryla and the Yule Lads serves as a way to encourage good behavior in children during the holiday season. Children are encouraged to be well-behaved so that the Yule Lads leave them treats instead of playing tricks and to avoid Gryla's attention altogether by being on their best behavior. If you love yourself a little festive holiday horror, I highly recommend either of the books that I mentioned earlier. It's a bit of fun and an escape from the sometimes tooth-decaying sweetness of the Christmas frenzy. All right, finally, before I let you go, I want to remind you that the Coven Shop at asforagrimony.com has a winter solstice collection that is shoppable now, and there is still time for delivery, as well as the winter solstice and Yule digital guidebook, which has much of the information that I shared here today, plus some journal prompts, a tarot spread, a spell, a recipe, and more. And now for the fun announcement. I will be offering two giveaways in the next week or so. With the coming of the holiday and the end of the fool's journey through the major arcana in the Fortune and Flora series, one will be winter solstice themed and one will be tarot themed. So be sure that you're following me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony or Facebook at a is for agrimony to stay informed and get your chance to win either of my giveaways. Okay, that is all that I have for you today. Please be well and have an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you're listening. If you'd like some more content, please go to aisforagrimony.com, where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, the living grimoire, and soon to come, the coven shop you can follow me on instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony that's an underscore in between each word over on threads under the same exact handle or you can like my facebook page at facebook.com slash a is for agrimony want to contact me shoot an email to reach margo at a is for agrimony.com And if you're interested in some exclusive bonus content, you can join the community over on Patreon at patreon.com slash A is for Agrimony, where I share early release unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, monthly spells, occasional bonus content, and more to come. Again, thank you for listening, be well, and have an amazing weekend.